Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. This morning, we'll continue to look at Jesus' commissioning his disciples, his preparation, and his instructions that he gives about being sent out into the world. And as we have seen and as we have studied, Jesus does not hold back. He does not sugarcoat what his disciples are walking into. He shoots straight with them. Now, we have seen in the past few chapters, as we have gone through again the book of Matthew, how Jesus has prepared his disciples for this work. And we made this crucial discovery, which is true for the disciples, but it's also true for us, that Jesus always prepares those whom he calls. And that's good news. And again, this prepping is not just for those in a pastoral role. This prepping is not just for those who are in a leadership position. This prepping is not just for someone who is in a a teaching role. No, this is for all his children. Because as we have said over and over, we are all called to go to our neighbors and the nations. And, And then last week, we added, not only does he prepare those whom he calls, but he also provides for those which whom he calls. Because we see him telling the disciples, don't fill up your belts. Don't stash away money in your treasure bag. Don't prepare for the travel, but to trust that the Lord will provide and to trust that he has gone before you. And that word trust is what is going to tie us in through all of today from start to finish. He is simply asking us to trust him. But then he, again, we're going to begin in verse 24 and 25, and he's still sort of giving instructions to the disciples. And he says, And a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. And if they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. So Jesus, again, he's reminding the disciples and he's reminding us that we are, if we are followers of him, that we cannot expect anything different than what we see him experiencing while he was here on the earth. And that first example he uses is the example of a disciple and a teacher. And it simply means, as it sounds, if you are a disciple of someone, you are looking at and looking to your teacher as someone to emulate. A disciple's goal is to follow the teacher. To follow him so closely that one day they too might be a teacher and they too might raise up more disciples. What about that second example that he uses? 
He says, he uses this example that a slave is not above his master. Now, I want to I pause here because I want to think about and talk about why did he use that as an example? And we see it happening in other places as well. But I want us to be clear, and we're going to take just a moment to make sure we understand that the Bible in no way ever endorses or condones slavery. In no way is the Bible ever saying in any sort of way that a slavery practice is okay. In fact, it's a disgusting, vile practice. But then it questions, like, why then would he use that as a reference? Well, and we see it in in many other parts of the Bible And I think what we have to understand is the reality that slavery was happening when this was being written by Matthew. And so, unfortunately, the fact that the practice was happening, he's using it as a cultural example because those hearing would understand the depth of the meaning that Jesus is portraying here. Now, again, there there are two particular verses that I want us to to look at just to make sure before we continue on that we understand that that slavery never was or ever will be a practice that is condoned by the Bible. And so in Peter, in his discourse, we see him using slavery as well to show how we are to submit to the Lord even when it says that you're in an unjust situation. Even in those situations, we are still to submit as unto the Lord, not as unto man. And the second example I want us to see is Paul, particularly in his letter to the first Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 7, he said, and he used directly this example, he said, if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. Slavery was never condoned, but we have to acknowledge that it happened, and we have to acknowledge that there are references to it in Scripture, not to condone it, but to point to us how we are to submit and to the depth of submission that we are to have when we follow Jesus. And so here Jesus is simply saying, whether you're a disciple or a slave, you should not expect to be treated any differently than your master or your teacher. Again, he is using these examples to remind the disciples, you've already seen how I've been treated. We haven't even seen the worst of it yet, but you've already seen how I have been treated. You've already seen how I have been slandered. You've already seen how I have been spoken ill against. Don't expect it to be any different than for you, my followers. Again, this is a very sobering reminder of Jesus, that if we follow him, that we too could be put in this situation. And then in verse 25, he recalls what what they had just heard just back in chapter 9. Remember, the Pharisees were talking about Jesus because he was casting out demons. And in chapter 9, they said, particularly the Pharisees says, he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So they're already calling him 
as to be a, a person uh, following Satan because they can't give an answer for how he has this power other than to admit that he is the Son of God. Do you see that? In order for them to recognize and to affirm that Jesus is able to do these miracles, not by the power of any other entity, but solely by the power that he is God, then they would be affirming that he is God. And so they couldn't. They couldn't because they weren't followers of him. They couldn't because they wanted nothing to do with him. And so they, they, they went the other way and said, well, the only reason he's able to do this is because he is doing it from the power of the demons and the ruler of the demons. And that's why we see here in verse 25, they say, he is the head of the house of Beelzebul. And he's simply telling the disciples, expect the same. I expect to be called the same, if not even worse. Imagine, if you will, how tough that was for the disciples to hear. Imagine, if you will, how hard, not just for the disciples to hear, but how do you feel when you hear that? Because you and I are given this same warning in hearing what, what Jesus is saying to the disciples. You and I will face some of the same things that Jesus faced while he was here. And again, I, I want to acknowledge that it's totally understandable that we hear these words and maybe lose a little hope. We hear these words and, and go, man, that's not very much encouragement for me to go to my neighbors and the nations. If you're telling me, go ahead and go, but get ready, they're going to talk about you. <laughs> they're they're going to say that you might be demon-possessed. They're going to call you a, a follower of Satan. So how, how is that encouragement to go? How is that not cause us to lose hope? And I would agree with you that I understand completely why it could easily cause us to lose hope. But before we lose hope, let's hold on. Because in the next six verses, we hear the promise that brings an overflowing measure of hope. More hope than we could ever imagine. Because in the next six verses, we're going to see Jesus say three times, do not fear. Three times in these next six verses, he's going to say directly, do not fear. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says, Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. When Jesus uses the word them... First, first phrase of verse 26, therefore, don't be afraid of them. What he's referring back to, the them he's talking about are the wolves that he said we as sheep are going to be sent into. He's remembering and bringing back to remind our remembrance that the wolves' sole purpose and goal is to devour the sheep. They are out to see us fail. And as we looked last week in, in John's gospel, sometimes the sheep, or the wolves, if you will, will look like sheep for a moment. He says that the wolves will come in sheep's clothing. Do you remember that? 
They'll look like one of us, but in due time, the truth will be revealed and their true colors will be shown. Here's what Jesus is saying. Disciples, and what he's saying to you and I as followers of him, get ready. There will be people who try to secretly come against you behind your back. There will be those who try to tear you down in secret, but then act like everything is okay, or just simply stay silent when they're in front of you. And unfortunately, we see this running rampant in the church. Rampant. Satan loves gossip. Satan loves to get people talking. Satan loves to get them some things going in the dark room, or as he says, in the dark. And then unfortunately, again, when, when it is confronted, either two of things happen. We either, we either see those, those wolves stay silent, or we see them lie. What does Jesus say? Do not fear. You don't have to be afraid of them. Don't let their chatter stop you from doing the work of the ministry that you know you have been called to do. He said, they talked about me behind their back. They came up with all these false accusations. So just get ready. They're going to do it to you too. But... You, you don't have to fear. Because he said, there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered. There's nothing hidden in the dark that won't be made known in the light. So what is Jesus doing here? He's giving the disciples and he's giving you and I freedom not to feel like we have to track down every piece of rumor or every bit of gossip that might be spread about us. He said, leave that up to him. He will bring the truth to the light. All we're asked to do is to continue doing the work of the ministry with prayer and with pure motives He'll take care of the rest. That should be a weight off of your shoulders to not feel like you have to track down everything that could possibly be being said about you right now behind closed doors in the dark. Jesus said, no, no, no. I'll bring that to light. Don't go. You know why I think he did that? And this is just me. I think he did that because he knew that if we tried to track those down, man, we would sin mightily in the process, <laughs> right? Because the reality is we probably, you and I probably wouldn't be as gracious as we see Jesus being if we found it out to be true, right? He said, just pray, have pure motives, he'll take care of the rest. Just a few short years ago, well, let's see, I'll be here two years in May, so this was probably about three years ago. 
we, three and a half or so, we were praying, we were asking the Lord, like, hey, we're, we feel like the God has called us to, to plant a church. We've asked people to come alongside of us. And, and during that process, you know, I, I'm explaining and talking to that, uh, talking to all the things we're doing to my family back home. And my grandmother, she told me this later on. She said, Matt, I waited to now to tell you, but when y'all were starting the church and y'all were just about to start doing the church plan, I had some people in our church back home come up to me and say, do you think Matt would just come back to, back home to Ridgely, to First Baptist Ridgely, and just pastor there? And she said, do you know what I told him? She said, I hope he never does this. I hope God never calls him back here. And I was like, well, Mama, why, why did you say that? She said, because I've seen over the years how we've talked about and how we've treated our pastors, and I wouldn't want to put you in that position. I know. That is so sad. But it's true. That is so sad that she was not only willing to admit it, but she knew it. But it's the truth. It's happening in so many churches all over the country, all over the world. I don't, Satan loves it. He loves it. But Jesus is saying, just do the work of the ministry. I'll handle all that. Doesn't mean it's, it's not going to hurt. Doesn't mean that it's not going to affect you, but you've got to trust me more than it affects you. And that's a hard place to be. Let's just be honest about that. I, I mean, in parenting, I, I, my kids are in the room. We tell them this all the time. You may think you got away with something. You may have snuck, and we didn't realize it in the moment, and you may have found something that you know you're not supposed to have, and you snuck it, and you kept it, and you ate it, or whatever it could be, all the list. We tell them this. They're like, we may not know today. We, we may not find out tomorrow. But eventually, the truth comes out, and we find out. And that's a real-world example. You guys know that as parents. You've, you've experienced that firsthand. Like, the truth always comes out. Jesus said, do not fear. Look at verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body, in hell. We can sum this up in one very simple statement. Fear God, not man. Fear God, not man. But I want to acknowledge to you this morning, that's so much easier said than done. It's so much easier to fall into the trap of fearing man. Why? Because man's who we see. Man, man is who is standing. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Right in front of us. Man is who we hear from. But we cannot fall into the trap of the fear of man and let that fear of man keep us from going to the mission and the ministry that God has called us to. 
So this example here, what is he saying? He's basically saying, man can only hurt your flesh. He can only kill the body as the words that he used, but he can't kill the soul. He can't destroy both soul and body in hell. Man can only hurt our flesh. But God is saying, I am the one who determines your eternity. I'm the one who determines your eternity. Man can only cause you pain in this lifetime. And again, I, I want to acknowledge, we're not just glossing over that pain. That pain is real. That pain has sent some people running to the hills away from the church because of how man inside the church has hurt their fellow man. And so that pain is real. And it can be deep at times. And it's not just physical pain, it's emotional pain. It's walking alongside people for, for years and you think, man, we're on the same track. And then just something simple happens. And this, this deep wound is created. Pain for man can be and is devastating. But please hear what Matthew is saying and how he recorded Jesus saying, Do not fear man. I know those wounds are deep. I know the emotion, the hurt that it has caused you. I understand the pains that man can cause. But do not fear man because that pain is limited. And that pain has an end time. And while you may suffer here on the earth from that pain, I am determining your eternal state. And that pain will soon end. And you'll forget it forevermore when you are forever with me. So don't fear man. Fear God. We, we can so easily get caught up in what someone says. Or, or maybe what someone thinks about us here on earth. And that pain, again, as I said, can cause us to lose sight of our Heavenly Father. And Satan will try to use that earthly pain in any way he can to stifle ministry. Because Satan wants us to be afraid. Satan wants us to think that our only identity is in what man thinks of us. And that's not true. Our identity is not found in the views and opinion of others. Even when they hurt and the pain that they may cause, our identity is found in Jesus. We must not fear. And as he always does, he points back to himself. And he says, I, I'm thankful that we have him to follow. And that's what he's telling the disciples. He's saying, I didn't let the slander and the pain cause me to lash out or give up, Jesus said. And thankfully, Jesus didn't rise up in anger to defend his name to those who were accusing him. 
Again, as I said earlier, so often when we hear about those who are talking bad about us or who are false or, you know, falsifying things against us or who are, are saying that things are true when they're not true, our urge, I get it, is to immediately respond and defend our own name. We want to do everything we can to make sure the truth gets told and our name gets cleared. But this is not how we see Jesus responding. In fact, when he stood before Pilate and he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he didn't say a word. Scripture says that even Pilate came back and said, Don't you hear how they are testifying against you? Don't you hear what they're saying? And Scripture says that he didn't answer even on one charge. People are going to talk. People are going to say, you're doing this for this reason, or you have this vendetta against them, and that's why you did this or chose this. People are going to say all kinds of things for doing all types of things for different reasons and decisions, all of those things. We have to remember that if we are praying and we are seeking the Lord and we know that our motives are pure, God will handle the rest. He will handle it. And Jesus knew at this point, again, the disciples are going, I just don't know if I'm up for this. I, I just don't know if I, if I can do this. You're, you're telling me that I'm going to be slandered against. You're telling me that they're going to pe- speak bad about me. You're telling me they're going to call me a follower of Satan. You're telling me that they're going to do everything they can to get me out of the way because they don't want your message to go forth. I, I just don't understand how this is, this is the way it should be or, or even just feeling completely disheartened where they're just in silence going I, in their, inside themselves, whether they said it out loud or not. I, I don't know if I can do this. And Jesus gives us the hope of the next three verses. Verse 29 says, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. Even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. There's that third, do not be afraid. This is a simple metaphor that he uses that pronounces the incredible greatness of God's sovereignty. The sparrow is one of the most common birds. It even says here that two were sold for a penny. Now even we can understand in that language how seemingly worthless sparrows can be. Even in our culture, we understand, but even in the culture that is being written to, two sparrows would have been about one-sixteenth of the lowest of the lowest paid daily wage for those in this context. So even the poorest of the poor who had the poorest paying jobs, who were making the least amount of money, could afford two sparrows. 
A sparrow is seemingly insignificant. It could easily go unnoticed. Yet no one falls to the ground. Not one of them falls to the ground without our Father's consent. Now I think that word consent is important. Notice they didn't use the word knowledge. Knowledge can be a passive term. Knowledge can be, well, we know that something is happening, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're involved in it. No, that's different. He uses the word consent. Mean he is actively playing a role in whether or not two sparrows fall to the ground. Make sure you understand that. I've made this comment before, but uh, it fits and it bears repeating here. There is not one rogue molecule in all of the universe and the galaxy. And any other universe or galaxy that we don't even know about, there is not one rogue molecule that falls outside of the control and the direction of our God. And that shows us how truly great he is. That should hurt your brain. When we start to imagine what it means for that to be true, that should really hurt your brain. Because our minds are so limited when it comes to thinking how big God is. And I've heard some say, well... God has, has more things to worry about than, than, than what I'm dealing with. Or, I really don't think God really cares about that or is thinking about that. He's got so much more to worry about and to control. He, he can't be that intricately involved in my life, right? Well, then what do you do with verse 30? Even the hairs of your head have all been counted. I looked it up this week. The average person has over 100,000 hairs on their head. Now some of us in here are hurting that average. But that's true. 100,000 hairs is the average. So think about that. Simply in this room alone, how many millions of hairs has God accounted for? In this room, in this one blip on the map, God has counted and knows the hairs on our head. Now think about 37013 zip code. Now think about Nashville. Now think about this country. Think about the world. That's a lot of hair. But he knows every one of them. He has counted every single one. You don't have to raise your hand. Think of it like this. How many, when you maybe were going to high school or you were leaving high school and going to college and your mom's in the attic and y'all are going through all your stuff, found a box of disgusting teeth that she kept for years 
because they were your precious baby's teeth. And I can't throw my teeth, my baby's teeth away. And there's this box of rotten teeth for years. Now think about how you felt for those moms who did that. No shame, no shame. But think about the love and the care that you had for your child when you thought, oh, that's my baby's teeth. I can't throw those away. That doesn't even touch to the idea of how much God loves you and has accounted for the number of hairs on your head. I think sometimes we can think of things like this and it makes us feel really small. But instead of feeling really small and really insignificant, you should feel incredibly loved. Because the creator of the universe knows that about you. The creator of the universe knows that about you. He formed you in your mother's womb. And if you were in this room this morning and you were in Christ before the foundation of the world, he chose you to be his. And you know what else? He's chosen others out there as well. He's chosen others to be his that are out there ready to receive. And he is preparing their hearts to hear the truth of the gospel. He is working in their lives in ways that they don't even know yet. But he is bringing them to himself, Scripture says. And he is pruning their heart and getting it ready so that when you and I are sent out to our neighbors and the nations and when we go and proclaim the truth of the gospel, he said, I've got them ready for you and they're ready to hear and they're going to come to know me because you went. They're going to come to faith in Jesus and forever their lives are going to be changed because you didn't fear man, you didn't fear what people might say. You feared God. And you said, I'll go. No matter what. No matter what man says, no matter what man tries to do to stop it, I'm going to go to my neighbors and the nations. And because you go, and because you proclaim that the kingdom of God is coming, there are those who will hear and believe and profess that Jesus is Lord and will be welcomed into his family, the family of God. So instead of being afraid of what people might say, Instead of being afraid and letting that bind us up and enslave us and keep us from going, Jesus says in verse 31, don't be afraid. I've loved you so much that you are worth more than many sparrows. And there are others that are mine that I have loved as well. And I want you to go. And I want you to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand and the harvest will come in. JJ, you can come on up.
That's how much God loves you. Because he sent someone to you. Whether it was a Sunday school teacher, whether it was a pastor, whether it was VBS, whether it was a short-term mission trip, whether it was someone just who absolutely just walked by you and the Lord said, hey, talk to them. No matter how he brought you into the kingdom, you didn't bring yourself in. He sent someone to you because he loved you that much. Church, we can trust him. We can trust him knowing that he cares that much about us. And we can trust, and what he is trying to get over to the disciples, and what I hope we can get over to us today, is that we can trust that no matter anything and everything we face, God has already known about it, it has already been planned, it is in his care. And we can trust that he has gone before us and has prepared the fields for us to go and bring in the harvest. Look at the two examples we prayed about this morning. It was not a shock that the earthquake happened in Turkey and Syria. And you're saying that's a part of God's plan? He loves the people enough who are going to hear the gospel because of that earthquake to allow that earthquake to happen so that they can hear the gospel and forever be in heaven. And you say, well, that sounds cruel. Say that that's cruel to the people who would not have heard the gospel without the opportunity of an earthquake happening so the gospel could go forth. That's what's cruel. But in the middle of devastation... He has a path prepared for, prepared for those who are coming to know him through that entity. Again, a small little college in the middle of Kentucky. You're saying, oh, it, does it matter where I go to college? It does for the people who are in the middle of that revival right now that they, for whatever reason, the Lord directed them to Wilmore. To Wilmore. And they are in the midst of seeing his glory being poured out. Whether they knew it or not, God had that planned for them to be on that campus in that year for that glory to be manifested in front of them so that the revival that happened in 1970 could again happen again and more missionaries. If you go and re just research, go home today, look up the revival that's happening at Asbury. Missionary people, kids are coming forth and going, I've got to go. Like the number of people that are coming forth and saying, if this is the true God, if this is who he is, I'll serve him in whatever way I can. Missionaries are being sent out. People are being saved. Lives are being changed simply because his spirit is being poured out. And he directed every one of those students to say, Asbury is going to be where I go so that they could be a part of that missionary revival that's sending out people all over the world. So for us, this morning, God directed your path to be in this room this morning to hear this good news. So for those who may be here and have not professed Jesus, whether you realized it or not, God ordered your steps, causing you to be in this room this morning to hear the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has paid your debt of sin on the cross. 
that God looked at Jesus and all of the shame and all of the wrath that your sin deserves, he put on Jesus so that he could welcome you into the family. For those who have believed and have professed, and you're here this morning, what I hope and I pray, and I prayed leading up today, that today would be a reminder for you of how much God loves you. You are not insignificant. You are not small in his eyes. He loves you. And he also loves those who he has called. And he said he wants you to hear this message of the gospel and go to those. And if you have hesitation this morning about going to your neighbors and the nations, what I hope you saw and what I hope you're seeing is that he is showing us that he has every conversation Every interaction, every rejection, and he knows everyone you will meet as you go. And you can trust him. You can trust him that he has gone before you. So church this morning, don't be afraid. You are worth more than the sparrows. Will you just sit and think about that? Will you just sit this morning just for a moment and think about how much God loves you? How much he has cared for you? How much that his, he has numbered your hairs on your head and he has called you to go because he loves others just as much as he loves you. Let's take just a moment and sit in that love.